Welcome to episode 44 of The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. On this episode, our guests are Mark Allen and Zoot Lors. Mark Allen is the founder and director of Machine Project, which is a storefront space in Echo Park, Los Angeles. And it's so much more than that, and you should really pause this podcast right now and go to machineproject.com and watch the short animation on the homepage there about what is Machine Project. And that's going to give you a real sense of the space, much more than we could possibly tell you right now. But we will say that it's a project space that brings together fine art and performance with maker culture and community engagement and everything else in the universe. The meaning of machine or our goals or what we do is best understood not as a narrative, but as like an aggregation of different kinds of effects. And those effects are how an audience experiences things or how a space um, creates certain kinds of social relations. And the meaning of that is kind of unfolds over a long, a longer period of time. Zoot Lors is an archivist working at Machine Project and has a history in performance work. She's currently working on developing the Machine Project archive into a comprehensive online history of the space. Being on the other side of the proscenium, is for me like I feel mo- most comfortable in that. For me working in a production it's this great thing where you work with a cast and you're working with the dynamics with these people and you're finding how people work well together and bringing that out and like seeing the ways in which there are conflicts and kind of like putting that at ease um, in some sense. Coming up later, we'll be tapping into the vast Machine Project archive and a new segment of Notes from the People to bring you a recording of Anthony McCann reading the first few poems from his recent book, Thing Music, on Wave Books. And we'll close out this episode with a track called Wash by Ing, which is one of the many musical acts that have been regulars at Machine Project over the years. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record magically repaired. You can listen to The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Or you can listen to us on iTunes. Uh, when you're there, please take the time to subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, and leave us a review. And you can find us at insertblancpress.net and just click on The People at the top of the page. Mark Allen and Zoot Lors, thanks for joining us on The People. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Mark and Zoot, you guys both have a tendency to work uh, behind the scenes, assisting other artists and bringing productions to uh, to fruition. But I get the sense that there's more of like an, an artistry to that than behind the scenes, quote unquote, like kind of conveys. So can you talk about that? Well, I, I got to start. My background is in making art and studio art and... Um... I did some kind of curatorial projects before I went to grad school, but after grad school at CalArts, um, I just became such a fan of so many people that I went to school with, and it, I sort of started Machine as a way of uh, forcing people to do things in public. So you could invite someone to do a show that you wanted to see their work, and then they kind of had no choice, weirdly. Um, and from that, I guess I developed a lot of different ways of working with people. So one of the ways is like what I would call an invitation, you know, like, hey, uh, Zoot, do you want to do a performance Thursday? Um, but also learning the different kinds of things that artists needed to make things happen. So sometimes it's, and I always think about it in terms of resources. So for a lot of people, the resources having somebody who wants them to do something or having someone that is enthusiastic about their work or having someone that might put them into a context they might not normally be in, um, almost like assignments for grown-ups. And then other people are more what you might think of as uh, what you might expect for a behind the scenes, which is finding someone a space or finding someone financial help on a project or finding someone an audience. So one of the things that's been fun about running machine um, for the last 14 years is that I started to see all the different ways you work with artists and actually everyone is a little bit different, sort of a different um, 
formula or a different recipe for making a project a success. And speaking of those projects, uh, Zoot, you're working on an archive of everything that has ever happened at yes. Machine that mm -hmm. is recorded, correct? Yes. Can you tell us about that project? In the in the fall of last year, uh, Machine had a retrospective up in upstate New York at Skidmore College mm -hmm. at the Tang Teaching Museum. And um, that we, Mark Allen and Machine Project decided to, well, that comes with a catalog. And so in this catalog, we decided, why not have this be kind of like the catalog itself be a retrospective of Machine? And so for the past 13 years, um, through a lot of triangulating between uh, our archive of emails and posters and um, through the old website, finding every single event that has ever happened or going through the Flickr pages of past employees, uh, we have this great treasure trove of information. And um, it's it's all been a bit scattered. So bringing them all together in a cohesive way has been challenging, yeah. but also really rewarding. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's become, a, what's, what's most interesting for me about it is it becomes this resource you can sort of, it's almost like the compost you could grow some new stuff out yeah. of. So um, we, one of the things that has been consistent about our program is we pretty much have sent an email once a week for the last, whatever, since we started in 2003. So Zoo did this really great de detective job of collecting all of them. So the recent, like the last eight years was pretty easy because we'd all done it through mailing list program. But for the first four years, it was like, I had to think about, okay, wait, who was around then? So I'm like, mom, did you save any of those emails, right? Do you or, still have your AOL account? <laughs> and she did, she had a bunch of them. And then my friend Leonard Lynn, who's a technologist, who was one of our early board members, I'm like, I bet Leonard saved every computer file he'd ever had. So it was kind of this great, um, almost, anthropological process of gathering them all. And then we worked with um, computer scientist Simon Pincus to develop all these great analysis of it. So one of the things he did is he wrote a program which generates emails for future events based on the collection of all the past emails. So we now have emails from starting in 2003 and then all the way up to 2020. What are they? What do those look like? Like what sort of events are? They are they are terrifyingly parsable as reality. <laughs> um, they're very strange because they, you know, we, you know, some of it is just you take every word and you sort of every noun and you're like, okay, this is a typical kind of noun we would use. But we also analyze the structure and the form of language. And um, um, there'll be part of what we're doing for this book um, for the Tang is we'll have some future emails in it. And um, eventually I want to do a book that's just of all the emails. And part of my interest in the emails is it's a history of the organization, but so much of how we've operated is very small events that maybe a lot of people heard about. So I've thought about the reality of what we do or how we function in the culture is as much about the stories that exist in the emails. And a lot of people say to me, oh, I never go there, but I love your emails. Um, so over time, I've really thought of that as, um, as our, one of our primary audiences. And the other thing that's been super interesting about gathering them all together is that you can, you know, in the beginning I wrote them, and um, but over time different people worked in the organization. So Michelle Yu, Jessica Cowley, Dave Eng, Lucas Wrench. We also did some charts that show the incidence of certain words. So like when Dave was working there, burritos appeared so much more often <laughs> than like when Michelle worked there, where it was either kittens or pizza so like we have all these crazy maps um that we've been doing where it's just like word frequency over time wow and so are you planning to do actually any events from the future emails to just like fulfill yeah 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 i actually do want to <laughs> it seems yeah. great um 
And I thought maybe it would be a month of programming where it was just programming from the future. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of, um, well, you know, like the, there's a description of a hacker is someone who, uh, an incre- someone who works incredibly hard to be lazy. So rather than, um, you know, rather than doing, analyzing a line of code by hand, which might take you three minutes, instead you spend like four months writing a program, which will do it for you. So a lot of my curatorial strategies are like that, like coming up with a lot of effort to make things easy. So I like the idea that we would stop having to write the emails and we would just obey what the <laughs> algorithm kind of tells us to do. So Zoot, what else have you been, what else have we been collecting? Oh gosh, we've been... Uh, Every person who ever did anything. That's my next project is going through finding maybe two people who used to work at Machine, either as employees or interns, sending them an email saying, who did you work with? And then hopefully we can have this running list. I don't don't know if we're going to. Matt Timmons is on that list. Yeah. Oh, really? You'll have a lot of artists. That will be a kind of astounding list. I mean, just the LACMA project alone would be a long list. And that's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about seven, seven or eight hundred people. Seven or eight hundred people. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, I had this idea that we could try to do an event where everyone did something at the same time who'd ever done it. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that the next thing that we're, we're we want to work on is finding all the holes in the floor, and. <laughs> figuring out what projects led to the sawing of some floorboards or the drilling of holes. Like, I think I found the very first hole, um, I think two weeks ago on Flickr, which was a hole the size of a beer can in which you would drop in money. I was there for that. And this gloved hand, (laughs) you were there for this. And this gloved hand would just raise a beer right through the, the hole. It's like number 78 on the list of 100 absurd things I made interns do. Yeah. (laughs) Sit in the basement and shove beer cans on the floor. I feel like that was after the unicorn peephole. Oh. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. But the unicorn peephole was like already there, right? So... There wasn't already a unicorn in the basement. No, the unicorn wasn't already there. (laughs) Was the hole already there? I thought it was already there. It could be. But anyway, this is a situation where you go into machine and get, you know, it's get on your hands and knees and look through a hole in the floor and see through a door, correct me if I'm wrong, like a a door peephole style fisheye jam and see a unicorn skeleton. Yeah, it was skeleton. by Karen Karen Lofgren. That's right. And Karen's. studio was down in the basement along with Urs Fisher when we moved in. So um, it was kind of nice. I love that this trace of her, this archaeology of this other artist would be visible through the hole in the floor. And that idea of the floor as a kind of um, historical record or an archive I thought was really interesting because there's so many shows where we cut trap doors or we dropped like a 4,000 pound safe or an intern fell through a hole in the floor (laughs) that there's such a historical trace in that, um, that we like thinking about that as a kind of archive. And in a way like Zood, I think your process of the last year, year and a half has been really expanding what an archive is Mm -hmm. and thinking about it as a generative rather than a record as much as a generative tool in a sense. It's like it's like um like a really intricate narrative. I feel. But in, on an, some sort of epic scale, I know it's <laughs> only been fourteen years, but it seems like a. Yeah, I said epic already. That's. What it <laughs> and it's like multiple universes to go into as well. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these projects have a lot of depth as well. Whether it's a shipwreck, forest project, I was looking at the forest book recently on the machine website and I was like, oh yeah, that that was What's a large that was book? a large scale project. What was that? Epic. The the it was a piece by Sarah Newey and Christy McCaffrey, mm-hmm. who were um, two friends of ours who worked as set designers in LA. And they I think they had actually done a version of it for a commercial for a photo shoot 
where they basically made a forest, an artificial forest inside. Um, and so we turned the interior of machine into a complete forest environment. And then with a lot of those major projects, what we did was um, use it as a kind of metaphorical ecosystem. So you commission a project by an artist, they transform the space, and then that becomes a place for other artists to do things. So we had um, poets reading by moonlight, or we just, Zoot, actually, you just found a pig. It, what was? Oh, yes. There was a. Apparently, we had a live pig in the forest. What? <laughs> there was a, there's a picture of a pig standing in front of a tree. And and it's it's strange. I mean, like working with this archive, you find these images, and like there, I don't know the full story behind it exactly. So I start like creating these weird um, stories about what might have happened, <laughs> and so it gets a little strange. And like as the archivist, um, trying to keep these these stories, these narratives that I'm creating in my own head out to keep the archive pure. Um, but I, I think that once this archive goes up and people can look at it, they could start making their own stories about it. Like, you know, like the, the mythology of machine project itself is, is just something that's really rich and yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even, even through memory, like going to various things, I'm, I know that I remember events that I wasn't at Uh or that the ones that I were at, I remember that I was at, I remember them completely differently than what actually happened so it's you know the the archive being pure is like almost i mean that's you know kind of an epic task in and of itself and kind of almost unachievable but you know not just making up stories and throwing them in the archive is probably a good practice (laughs) yeah and i also even just having this discussion i'm realizing that it's gonna this is it feels like like opening an old box of photos and going through it because I, that's about the time when machine started. It's about the time I got out of CalArts and moved down right across the street from you guys um, and was going there pretty frequently. So it's just like with each project that you're talking about, I maybe haven't thought about it in forever, but it, you know, takes me back, man, <laughs> to like certain times in my life, you know, and knowing that it's been 14 years of going there consistently, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I think there is something as an artist or a writer or anything where you're always looking forward in a sense. Like you're making new work, the old work accumulates behind you. Mm-hmm. And I think part of being able to work is you just have to clear space in your head. Like I cannot remember all those things I did or I'll never make anything new. So it is kind of surreal because Zoo would be like, um, what was this, you know? what was this pig or hole or what was going on in this photo? And I'm always like, oh, yeah, that happened. Um, But the idea of the folkloric as a kind of cultural production is something I'm super interested in and kind of got into by accident because we would do things and then they would sort of exist as stories. But talking about the things you find in the emails or the photographs like that, idea of the folkloric has always been something I've been really interested in and I fascinated by artists who do that and like Francis Elise I'm really inspired by his work and the way they so much of his he talks about that it's like like the one where it's um the faith to move mountains one the name of that anyway so it's a piece where he has like a thousand people attempting to move a mountain with shovels yeah um there was that great book last year, The Miraculous, by um, Raphael Rubinstein, where it's like these short stories, maybe like a page, page and a half, that are just descriptions of artist projects, but they read like um, sort of fantastical short fiction. And I think, you know, the art sort of is something that exists to transform consciousness. So it's sort of like whatever vehicle does that, um, I'm interested in. You're listening to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. We'll return to our conversation with Mark Allen and Zoot Loris in a few minutes. But first, a new installment of Notes from the People. For the foreseeable future, we'll be mining uh, the Machine Project archive. 
and bringing up some audio gems of recorded material from their extensive history. And for our first selection of Notes from the Machine, we have a recording of Anthony McCann reading in the Mystery Theater, a machine project, from his book Thing Music, published in 2014 by Wave Books. Thing Music. We begin with two quotes. The first from Jack Spicer. In the slick of the thing music. Um, and the second from John Ashbery. Near your dumb bank. Part one is called Thing Music. The day. In this coupling of speech where everything begins, where shimmering began, please put on my voice and through this voice my eyes. I mean this ringing in my eyes on the day it went away. I mean the day it goes away. It is the always dying sound, the glimmer of the bell and the trees ringing with light. Would you touch these breeding nouns? These wires are alive and the silent hiss of space is slipping. Its face turns, rotates in the leaves, the clarity and shade. I want to say today, but today it is the day that entered in my face. I went there on a sound was smeared with little shapes while air tumbled through the chairs, silent clothes and bones. This doorway looks unsaid as the animal descends. It opened up its flesh and landed in the day. The furling, unfurled world, cool shadows in each cleft. It's where I come from, where I say leaves twiddled, then grew grave. Mouth guitar. Lips of pulsing loam, blood bubbles, blowing speech. I cut off my head and carried it through the streets. The Dow is up 13 points. Nasdaq is a bad move in any poem. It courts relevance. I carried my head, etc., by the hair, etc., through the real streets of the fanatical wound. Thing music. I am not the word, you are not the word. I am not the thing, you are not the thing. We are the shadows the names make when they cross the body lands. Table people, mirror people. We cross the thing-like land. While the bees drool in the flowers, the sun drools on the bees. And the strangeness of my body, and the strangeness of your body. You're pulling ribbons from your throat to grace the thing like land. We grace the thing like land with breaths, replacing feet with breaths, replacing feet. But the land inside the land still stutters there unsaid. We pause to face these trees. Leaves stammer on their twigs. When I find my real body dead, I proclaim my living body dead. So blue it is a word. Light stammers on our eyes. When we find it by the rocks, dead and real as the sky. Speaker. Behind the scrolling face, there is a real skull, and in the skull, a word. And sometimes in that word, there is a little throat, while around us scream the hands in the happy social room. Please notice little hands, say the little hands, when I reach back and whack the man in that inadvertent room. But I think it is to wiggle that the word was given rooms, rooms so full of hands and planted eyes and skulls. It is the social room so full of eyes and skulls, where the speaker closed her eyes as if there were a throat. We were sitting on the floor. We sat and arched our throats. One sound like another conjured other sounds. It was through the window then that I saw the flower tree hand out bleeding throats in the furthest yellow light. Flower tree, I say. From my voice, I gathered lips. I make a picture with my face. But my throat is not my own. And now let's return to our conversation with Mark Allen and Zoot Lors. So it seems like Machine Project has um, an affinity for performance work. I feel like going there over these many years, I see a lot of performance. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, a couple things. One was... Uh, I started getting more and more interested in how unpredictable humans were, and performance seemed like a interesting place to observe that. Um, also, we did a show maybe three or four years ago with an artist, Chris Weisbart, where he 
did this transformation of the space into all these different environments. So the front was this 99 cent store. Oh, yeah. It was a Halloween show. Yeah. So the very front was like a haunted 99 cent store and you would go through the back of that into this sort of demolished bathroom. And if you crawled through the rubble of the bathroom, you ended up in this cave that had all these incredible visual effects in it. And one of the walls of the cave would come up um, sort of like open sesame and we cut yet another hole in the floor with uh, circular stairs going down into the basement, which put you on the stage of a theater. Um, and so it's sort of this funny juxtaposition of haunted house terror with performance terror. And then afterwards, it was just really nice to have a theater. So we started programming more um, stuff for that. And I started working a lot with an artist, Asher Hartman, whose work I'd first seen at um, a space called Sea and Space that Lara Bank ran in Highland Park. Um, and I had done maybe two plays with Asher at Machine. And then when we were in residence at the Hammer, um, he did a play called Annie OK, which was a mashup of um, Annie, Get Your Gun, and- The King and I. The King and I, thank mm. you. And Zoot was actually in that play. I think that's the first time we met, maybe. I think that was the first time I performed in front of a larger audience. Yeah. And what was that experience like, uh, working with Asher, past guest and friend of the show? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, performing in itself is a little terrifying for me. I think working with Asher, um, Asher's like one of the most um, generous and... He, he has this ability to bring out your ability to be yourself. Like, um, every time I've worked with Asher, it's always been how to be a human being, in a sense. And um, for me, that performance was... I, I mean, that, that performance brought up a lot of really interesting questions about, like, representing a person or representing an idea of a person... Um, and so after, after being an ever child in that play, I kind of laid low and went more towards the backstage area. Um, and so the next time I worked with Asher was in Purple Electric Play, where I was the assistant director for that. And um, being on the other side of the proscenium is, for me, like I feel mo most comfortable in that, in which, like... For me, working in a production, it's it's this great thing where you work with a cast and you're working with the dynamics with these people and you're finding how people work well together and bringing that out and like seeing the ways in which there are conflicts and kind of like putting that at ease um, in some sense. And then there's also like when you're working backstage, there's not necessarily this this looking into what you re represent. And I think for me as a performer, that's something that I think about a lot. Um, this past May, I was in a production with Asher called The Silver, The Black, The Wicked Dance over at LACMA. And that was a kind of a life-changing experience for me. Asher, does, Asher Hartman does this thing where he trusts your you're um, impulsive and allows you to really follow through and you kind of analyze why you have those impulses and then that, that creates this richer character, in my opinion. Um, and for my role in that performance, I it was like this, this ability to be seen and to represent something without necessarily having to talk much. And when you're on when you're on stage, this thing happens where your movements and your body language becomes amplified. And I kind of wanted to represent this this person that didn't have to speak so much, and had this power in this silence. Um, like growing up, you know, everybody's always asked me to to use my voice or to like say something. I mean, this is like stuff that people would ask me without even knowing me for very long and I thought that that maybe that's like something that happens so 
so like for me personally as a performer I'm always interested in what you can convey or what kind of power you can have without necessarily talking um and that performance really helped me figure out a lot about myself I guess it seems like that's I mean from having talked to Asher on the show a couple couple episodes back and Chelsea Rector another performer in some of those productions like that's the that's the some of the con- part of or entirely the conceptual underpinning of all of his projects right like yeah. is that intercast dynamic or the inter like a very interpersonal audience cast director dynamic it's a it's like a, it's a more of a study in human human interaction mm-hmm. like as much as it is a production yes right very much so yeah and uh it and it seems like on a larger scale, it could be totally off here, um, but like that—that's sort of the role that machine plays in a in a way. It's like machine project plays is to is to create a an atmosphere of interrelated performance. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that um, I was just thinking about as we were talking about language or the lack of language of how much. Asher's work is so language intensive, mm. but it uses language in these ways that are producing complicated affects or complicated emotional experiences, which may be hard for one to even identify if you're feeling it. And I think that's an area where a lot of machines' performance is interested in, because poetry has been a really huge part of our program, really from the beginning, and a lot of it through Anthony McCann, who's our poet laureate. But I'm very interested in poetry as something which, through language, produces complicated affects and less interested in performance or language which produces narrative effects. Mm. Um, and I think in a way, to get to your question, the, the meaning of machine or our goals or what we do is best understood not as a narrative, but as like an aggregation of different kinds of effects. And those effects are how an audience experiences things or how a space um, creates certain kinds of social relations. And the meaning of that is kind of unfolds over a long, a longer period of time. Um, but also Mark, you worked with, uh, you worked on The Silver of the Black, The Wicked Dance, uh, I mean, on I, some level, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think Asher's work is um, he's one of these artists who I'm very invested in. And I when I work with artists, I try to think about how can I be useful and also what can I specifically do? So there's often these experiences where there's artists in L.A. whose work I admire a lot and I'd like to do something with but I don't really have a way to contribute. Like the things I could do for them might be to find them a place to show or some money, but I'm not, anybody could kind of do that. So I look for ways in which um, my contribution is unique to it. And with Asher, my role, I think I was listed on that production as a dramaturge, but I think my role is really to be a sort of, um, I think of it as like a psychic infrastructure like a deeply committed believer in the work and then a set of eyes that can kind of see it and kind of make suggestions. And I have that role with a lot of artists and I don't necessarily expect them to do what I say or even listen to what I say, but I kind of try to think of it as um, offering an opinion of how I see something based on having seen a ton of stuff and then that's another piece of information people can use. And it's very similar to my job as a teacher at Pomona College, where when you're teaching young artists, all you can really do is reflect your experience back to them. It's not very useful to say, well, you should do this or that, but kind of how you see it. Um, And maybe over time at Machine, that's become my role more. Like like now the day-to-day logistics of doing an event are really done by Lucas Wrench, um, Eldia Yesian, really runs the business and my role is almost to float in and have some ideas and to give people some opinions. And Zud, what would you, I mean, how would you characterize your, I mean, we've kind of heard the things 
about the things that you are do and have done and are doing there at Machine Project, but how would you, like in general or specifically, how would you characterize your role there? I don't know. Like I kind of, I kind of feel like Machine is is my my family. I guess there are all these weird dynamics that happen. Like, like even I sometimes I think of my job as like. Like for me, when I come into work, it's it's almost like, how can I make these people happy? In a sense, like what does Mark Allen want? What does Lucas Wrench want? Is Meldia hungry? Are people stressed out? And when people get stressed out, my my question is, hey, what are we doing for lunch? So it doesn't really necessarily feel like work. Um, what machine does is really important to me, and there's a sense where. I want people to know how fantastic Machine is. And maybe that drives what I do at work, like making this archive. Or like, I'm really interested in people's stories. Um, I like listening to people. And if I can provide some kind of material for um, getting people's stories. I think there's a thing for everybody who works at Machine, which is you come usually with a fairly specific task, and then over time, it just ends up being, expands into very irrational kind of pursuits. <laughs> like we're not really one for thinking like, what's the most important thing that's gonna get done? So ideally what happens with your employees, with the employees is like they come for to do something and then eventually it evolves into let's collect all the broken off pieces of cactus in the neighborhood and start growing them in the front. Or let's interview people who came to a lot of poetry events at Machine about the events they didn't go to. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, or, you know, and so then uh, I think what happens in a nice way is people's become involved curatorially in a way that's very organic. So I'm not... I think, and in a way, I think any organizations like this where you need to absorb the culture of the place before you can start producing the place. So if you think of an organization as something which is continually being produced or generated by the people who are working there, often the subtleties of what a place is like isn't understood until you're there for a while. So I think with you, with Zoo, I think at the organization, you're kind of been through that process, right? So when you first came, it was very much like, let's do X, Y, Z, Q. And now you're kind of organizing events or working on different initiatives that are more self-directed, maybe. Mm -hmm. You're listening to The People on Kechung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember that you can get this and all past episodes of The People by going to iTunes and searching the iTunes store for The People Radio. When you're there, please take the time to leave us a review, uh, leave us a rating, uh, and download all the episodes that you want for free. Yeah, you can even subscribe to the show, too. Or you can go to insertblancpress.net, and you can find all our, all our past shows uh, by clicking on the people at the top of that webpage. And now back to our conversation with Mark Allen and Zoot Lors. So one of the, the best things about Machine Project is we're a storefront on Alvarado, which is a pretty fairly busy street. And um, we have these really great big open windows. And so um, there's this, there's, there's level of like, uh, what's the word? Like a per, perme, permeatingness. Of... Yeah, it's a permeated, permeated barrier. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, like the other day, okay, so at Machine, we have these robotic kitty cats that are sleeping and they're kind of like in a donut form. And the best thing about them is their fur doesn't look real at all in any way, but there's this this motor that raises the bellies of these cats as they're sleeping. And so one of like my favorite things to do, besides having like a congress of cactus that sit on chairs facing the window, facing out, is um, we have these cats that sleep on little beds somewhere near the window. And one of my favorite moments that have that has ever happened is a couple walked by and they saw the cat and it 
ended up leading into a fight because How? he the, the man in the relationship thought that they were fake and the woman in the relationship thought that they were real and it caused this this big argument <laughs> right out front <laughs> right out front <laughs> and I don't know if you know this, but Machine at one point had this um, this installation by Nate Page where the entire storefront windows were brought all the way back to about maybe three quarters of the way into the space. And when, when the windows returned to their normal spot, it was never sealed. And so we can hear everything that anybody says outside of the window, which is also like this other weird kind of theater in a sense that I feel kind of bad about because they don't know that we can hear them. But, um, yeah, I think that was probably my favorite moment at Machine. Try not to cause fights. Generally, <laughs> yeah. Especially through robotic cats, and it seems <laughs> like you're not to blame. It seems a little absurd it's to funny, put the blame I got, on you guys. I got those for when we did a show at um, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art in 2008. And we had them placed in the, like, all the displays with the Egyptian antiquities. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a human reaction response to if you see a sleeping cat, like, to tap on the glass. So I remember at LACMA, everybody's, like, tapping on the glass. Um, yeah, I love the window, though. It's like it's a f strange form of public address. Like, we do a lot of, we always do signs out front of what we're doing and, put a lot of signs in the window and it's almost like this strange like bulletin board between the outside space and kind of like the interior. I, I remember this one time we had, um, so so during Purple Electric Play, we actually had a magician uh, consultant named Steve, Steve Root, who is not only a magician at the Magic Castle, but he's also a real estate agent. <laughs> and so one day we sat him next to the window and um, we put our sandwich board outside that said $1 only one minute real estate advice. Psychic real estate advice, I think, is what it said. And we had a piece of paper with a hand cut out on the window that said, place your hand here. And the idea was that the outside person would place their hand on the window and he on the inside would place his hand against theirs and then give this non-communal advice Somehow. I don't know. It didn't really work out. So it was but just transmitted psychically? Or transmitted psychically. And it was great to see people walk by, see the sign, keep walking, stop, yeah. turn around, look at Steve, look at the sign, look inside the building. And then, like, this magical thing would happen where they would just slowly, <laughs> very reluctantly, put their hand on the window. We did that with, um, there was like a really similar dynamic with uh, Carmina Escobar's sonic massage piece. Uh -huh. So um, Carmina is an opera singer um, who sort of splits time between here and Mexico City. And she does this piece where she literally sings into your body. So she holds like her hands on your back and then finds a resonant frequency that makes like your bones vibrate. And it's a pretty phenomenal piece. But... She, we just had her in front of the space with a sign that said free sonic massages. And it is strange. It's like people, it's almost like they don't want to, but it's it's like their brains are making them participate. And the best part is when you can see this decision that just comes over their face. Like they become, they say to this, themselves, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and that transition to me is just amazing. Yeah, I think it's a good metaphor for what I'm interested in as a form of address to a public. You know, it's like an invitation to do something that you do not you, that you do not completely understand. <laughs> and so, figuring out like how do you make that invitation work alongside of that small fear. Yeah, yeah. well, a little bit of fear is important. It's yeah. like that's what gives it some of the energy. <laughs> and you've, I mean, you've you've been there for 14 years, and Echo Park, uh, Los Angeles, uh, has changed changed a little bit in 14 years, right? So that, or yeah, yeah, it has, it totally has, right? 
Yeah, no? but I mean, not as much. I mean, yes, I think it's going to change more in the next two years than it probably did in the last 14. Sure. It certainly didn't change as fast as Highland Park, you know, which changed right. kind of overnight. So um, I don't know. It still seems like a fairly, um, yeah, I guess it's changed. Yeah. I mean, but and that particular street, I mean, I wonder if that, I mean, because you guys have a very particular such kind a gnarly of corner. Of, you know, it's an early corner, like, but then it's had some good business. Uh, it's got some good storefronts there with Echo Park Film Center next door, mm-hmm. and they've been there forever too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's always had that tension between being kind of a gnarly, intense corner area with also some interesting businesses. It's almost like, a, I feel like, um, in balance, in a sense, between the more interesting things and then the more kind of more i don't know how you would describe pedestrian yeah or tragic (laughs) (laughs) i mean on the one hand you have like uh this really upscale barbershop where you can get whiskey served to you and on the other hand you have like shirtless angry dude who's like this guy that's been a staple in that neighborhood for such a long time and he so shirtless angry dude is this amazing person that dances for hours in the sun and he his skin is like like tan and dry. He's taking over the sunset walker guy, the sunset newspaper reading walking guy. Wait, are you talking about Santa Claus, the guy who dresses no. in all red? No, yeah. No, the guy who was a rest in peace is some like LA talk to the max, but he went like he would he would roll around uh, Silver Lake mostly in Little Echo Park, shirtless with a with a newspaper, just very like I think the Wall Street Journal I believe, and intently, and shirtlessly, <laughs> read read walk, that paper and kind of power walk power walk through and the, read the paper through yeah. the through the hippest neighborhoods of Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah, and I think he he passed unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe that's my next project is to archive these people who are staples of. It is Our interesting. Like the window is kind of this strange TV that we watch, you know, and there's like reoccurring characters. Yes. And then I like to think for the neighborhood, we play the same role. You know, and I love overhearing people who maybe don't come to our events, but you hear them a lot being like one person explaining to the other person what we do. And then their explanations are always bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, what? they're always doing something crazy in there or, or I don't know, I th- like a lot of times people also ask us what we're going to be when we open. Like, I think, <laughs> yeah, totally. like I'm, we've done a lot of projects I'm really proud of, but I think the thing I'm most proud of is it looks as like unformed kind of dis- like disaster, half mess, random <laughs> tables as it did like 14 years ago. Sure. Like a tra- traveler in time would be like, LA is completely transformed except for somehow these people still haven't, either gone out of business or started their business in this storefront. <laughs> yeah, and it transitions. Like the Nate Page thing that we were talking about, or did we talk about that on the air? Maybe not. Yes, yeah, we did. Turning uh, Machine Project inside out. Sure, yeah. yeah. There's moments when it's like it's a very specific, we quote, weird situation. And then there's other moments when it's between times or there's something downstairs where it just looks like kind of an empty an empty spot, mm-hmm. right? And so it just like it 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 emerges and then what's the opposite of emerge recedes recedes thank you as a space and just like constantly for 14 years right yeah and And on some level like the the status quo situation is just like a bunch of random tables and chairs kind of sitting around and yeah in in the storefront and looking like you're about to open yeah or you're about to like move everything out yeah (laughs) the other thing that's really fantastic is we're right next to a coffee shop and um it's a great coffee shop but about once a day someone isn't looking very carefully and opens our door and then there's just like this amazing like (laughs) look of shock and dismay and confusion (laughs) where they realize that we're not the coffee shop and it's it's really amazing to watch. It's like they fell down a manhole. Like they thought they were walking to a coffee shop and instead they're plummeting through space like Alice in Wonderland. And you let them write their screenplay in there if you want if they want, right? I feel like we try to be welcoming. Yeah. 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 We there's this one woman who's being harassed by someone, um, I think maybe a couple months ago. And so we just said, Come and work with us. 
And she, she sat down with her laptop and she worked with us for, I think, about four hours. Yeah. Especially yeah. now that we have central air. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody yeah. listening okay. wants to just come over and co-work. Um, We're possible. always open. We're always open. Well, um, I know off mic we were talking a little bit about um, fantasy. Well, two things. Animals, <laughs> right? Animals that have been involved in Machine Project and then uh, fantasy projects. Mm-hmm. Guys strong, want... strong overlap between and animals oh, you might want to work with in the yeah, future. Fantasy, yeah. animals. Yeah. fantasy animals. Well, right now I'm very much interested in goats. So if any listeners out there happens to have a goat farm, please email me at zoot at machineproject.com. Do you, are we getting a goat at machine or just you personally are? I, I think I think that you know it'd be nice to sit around with some goats. I don't know the details yet, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah, yeah. You guys could uh, erect a small cliff that the goat could climb. Yeah, <laughs> they will go. You know, they go to the highest possible point. You know what? That that could actually be something. We can have a competition where we have a rock climbing wall, and see who People can in climb. Goat costumes. Who can climb the wall fastest? Yeah. And the prize is a milkshake or or a tin can. That's what they eat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is how this is how things at Machine Project get done, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. usually the jokes emerge; they get more complicated, and then you figure out how to like make something out of it and then i usually try to pin it on someone like <laughs> I, a common thing i say a lot is you should do that <laughs> everyone who's worked with machine has been subjected to me saying we should totally do that you should do that uh and yeah. i mean actually now that i'm thinking about it there i mean not that it is not serious in every single possible way but i feel like all of my best memories of uh participating or showing up to any machine project event or performance or whatever there's there is an element of like uh of humor or like it's it's funny or absurd or both or what what's up with that i mean i love it (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i think there's two really simple answers like one is uh nobody's getting rich off this project so it really has to be fun right and that's just like you know i think as a one of the things you do as an artist is you create a universe that you want to live in um so I think that's just part of it. But the other thing is, like, I have often thought of our mission as being educational. And part of that is creating as many ways to access often pretty esoteric content. And humor is, like, kind of our number one strategy. So you, Sometimes it's sea slugs. And, and uh, you had a sea slug lecture where the guy was talking about the um a couple pop stars and and the particular sea slugs they would be <laughs> that's a fantastic memory that's <laughs> it's completely not, wrong it's completely not true sorry um, it was a lecture on the sex life of sea slugs yes yeah, yeah, sea yeah. slugs are kind of amazing because they're all male until you get stabbed by the sharp tail sexual organ of another sea slug and impregnated, and then you become a female sea slug and have sea slugs. And we're and they have these. We're talking about nudie bronx, correct? Nudie bronx, yes. yeah, nudie thank bronx, you. yeah. Thank you. But this guy gave an amazing talk because he was incredibly knowledgeable and charismatic, and was also simultaneously like picking up men in the audience, like while giving his lecture. <laughs> But he was definitely like strategically aiming commentary throughout the thing. It was probably the most fantastically inspirational talk I've ever seen for like the art of giving a talk. And there was a lot of humor in that. And this but is like this is were... a this is a talk about like again, sea slugs or nudie bronx, which make them sound more exciting. But <laughs> yeah. This they're is like exciting. something they that's are exciting. Yeah. yeah, they're very exciting. But but you have an a you guys have an ability to present material that in a different way that 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 allows people to be receptive to it, I think, in a way that they wouldn't otherwise be, most likely, anyway. Yeah, we should try to give things a twist. People yeah. love learning about stuff, though. Like now, any talk on the natural sciences will be packed. Mm-hmm. We just recently had a, a lecture about uh, ancient ice. Oh yeah, three hundred year old ice core samples from the Arctic, and. Um, it was a fantastic lecture followed by being able to have a kettle one in a shot glass with samples from this. I, can, can we say this online? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? 
with um, samples of the ice core floating in this. The ice core that is how old? 300 years. 300 so, years, right. Uh, about 17, 16, I would say. And I'll tell you that I've run into two people who attended that. And one of these people. They're all, they're all terribly sick. When they they're all terribly sick. No, they loved it. Uh, one of these people was uh, very excited to have vodka with that old ice. And the other one thought that it was just blasphemy, that they just needed to drink it with water. Mm. You know, it was it was great. We couldn't get the million-year-old ice. <laughs> you need to have a better connection. Our connections were good enough to get 300-year-old ice. <laughs> but four, five, six, or seven-figure years we had. Listen, to... another another 14 years of machine being in business, and I think you can get that 3 million-year-old ice. Yeah. And on that note, Mark, Suit, thank you for joining us on The People. Thank you, thank you so you. much. Yeah, that's Thanks fun. So much. Thank you. You've been listening to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember to go to iTunes and search for us in the iTunes store under The People Radio. And when you're there, please do us a favor and take the time to subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, and leave us a review. That would be really awesome. And you can also go to Insert Blanc Press. That's at insertblancpress.net. And you can click on the people at the top of the page. And you can also find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud and just about anywhere else that you get your podcast. And we're even on Facebook. Can you believe it? You can go to Facebook and you can like us on Facebook. Our theme music, as always, is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out this episode with a song by Ing, which is John Wood and Max Markowitz, from an immersive underwater sound installation they did in 2013 as part of Machine Project's Field Guide to Los Angeles Architecture. You can find out more about Ing at Ing is Max and John. That's I N G I S M A X A N D J O H N dot com. And the name of the song is Wash. Thank you.